Miami-Dade County is partnering with you to help keep our community safe from COVID-19 now and in the future. Do your part by getting your booster, staying home if you're sick, and getting tested if you think you have symptoms. We'll keep doing our part to protect our children's education and ensure testing, vaccines, and boosters are available for all so that our entire community continues to thrive. It's our best plan. For more information, visit miamidade.gov coronavirus. Another edition of the Behind the You podcast. And since primarily this usually is only uh, audio distribution, this voice should ring a bell and probably does not need an introduction. So, sir, maybe you could just say hello. Well, a very pleasant good morning, Josh. And there it all, is. And to all the Hurricane fans that are listening in, uh, I'm Jay Rokich, and uh, it's an honor to uh, join you on today's podcast. Uh, podcast event and uh, all i can say is it's all about the you yes sir so there there we go jro needs no introduction especially when it comes to the audio format uh and jro with this we we you know behind the you in and of itself is we like to really get behind people's story and their journey and is this year 54 or 55 with um baseball i like to say it's my 54th season ah. not my 54th year because years it really sounds like i've been here a long time but 54 seasons maybe not as bad but uh yes 54 is the number and uh i started out doing um baseball back in uh, 1969 so uh seen a lot of games a lot of players a lot of wins and um and thankfully four national championships and of course there was a many seasons that I also have the privilege of serving as the PA voice of hurricane football and hurricane basketball as well. Yep. So um, you are definitely the longest tenured guest who has appeared uh, on this podcast. So you said you started in 1969 and as the story goes, you're, you, you know, um, you come down from New York, you go to UM, you're, you, you try to get a gig with basketball because you thought the travel would be uh, fun going out to Hawaii, California, et cetera. And the coach said, Hey, appreciate it, sir. But you know, we've got, an, we've got a, we've got plenty of managers. And so you wander down, down the street to Mark light uh, stadium, introduce yourself to Ron Frazier. And I guess the bigger question for me is why, like, why did you want to do this? why did you want to do that at that time as a young freshman, just enrolling at the university of Miami? Oh, I came from Brooklyn, New York, and I was the basketball team manager at Franklin Delano Roosevelt High School in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, I loved that job, and I knew that when I came to Miami, I wanted to be involved in some extracurricular type of activities, and I was not a fraternity type person, so sports was the avenue that I thought would be the best for me, and uh Naturally, as, as you mentioned, I went to see Ron Godfrey. He was the basketball coach, and they practiced basketball on campus in a place called the Armory, and it was like an ROTC facility. And um, as you mentioned, they, they had a nice uh, schedule that year. They were going to <laughs> UCLA, and they were going to Hawaii, and I said, wow, that would be really nice to be able to get a couple of cool trips. 
But Ron Godfrey already had, as you mentioned, many managers. So on my way back to my dorm at Mahoney Hall on the campus of the University of Miami, I stopped at the baseball field and, uh, you know, it was not really an attractive facility. And, um, you know, it was very low key and, you know, uh, Ron Fraser was behind the uh, backstop, you know, team was taking batting practice. And I went over to him and I introduced myself to him and uh, I said, I'm Jay Rokic. I'm a freshman here at the University of Miami. I'd like to get involved in, you know, with your, your team and your program. And uh, you need a manager? And he said, absolutely, definitely need a manager. And uh, probably about uh, an hour later, I was uh, in the clubhouse and uh, learning how to do a team wash, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and um, they didn't really have, uh, you know, so I became the team manager, which I did for several seasons. And I love that job and handled travel arrangements and helped out with equipment, ordering of equipment. And, um, and, uh, then we discussed uh, me being a PA announcer there because again, I had done that in high school, but baseball really didn't have anybody uh, that was doing it regularly. So we started, uh, doing public address announcing for the baseball program in the spring of 1969. And it's continued for a few seasons since. So, um, Ron Frazier at that time. He did not, but his stature with the University of Miami was not what it was, what it is now, what it was, right? You did not know, like you talking to Ron Frazier would not be someone talking to Mario Cristobal, right? Or somebody like that at that time. Definitely, you are correct. Yes, uh, Ron so, Frazier, um, the baseball program was pretty low on the totem pole. And um, the facility was uh, in need of a lot of work. And uh, there were no lights. There was no AstroTurf and, um, you know, the scoreboard was very, very primitive. And um, no, uh, Ron Fraser worked at the Coral Gables Youth Center and uh, that was his uh, real job. And he was, uh, you know, somebody who came over to the UM and uh, did the best he could with uh, minimal equipment terrible uniforms, <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, you know, then it all just started to come together, uh, you know, slowly but surely. And uh, Ron really aligned with some great people as the years went by with Rick Remert and John Ruth and uh, the three R's, Roe, Keach, Remert and Ruth. Uh, we, uh, we did a, a pretty good job. The four oh, wow. R's you got, got, you should go Ron, Remert, Roth, Ruth, and Rokish. Totally, totally. And uh, so, yeah, we started doing some crazy things and the, the athletic department really didn't bother us very much. We were sort of our, on our own island and we planned our own promotions and we, uh, we ran our own uh, concession stands and uh, we did everything on our own, but it all worked out and slowly but surely, you know, we eventually got a um, chance to go to Omaha to the College World Series, put on a pretty good performance. And then Ron went on his, you know, promotional craziness with, you know, different events. And he, he got ESPN to cover a national series with Miami and USC, which really helped promote college baseball back in the early 80s. And uh, 
national championships started to come in 82, 85, and 99, and 2001. And now it's been a while since we've had that last one, trying to get that fifth one, similar to football, trying to get that sixth one. And, um, but I believe it's going to come for both programs sooner than later. So what was some of the, what was some of the craziness that was happening in the incubator back then when no one was watching and you said the three R's or the four R's, like what was, what was inside of Ron Frazier's mind that he was poking and prodding you guys to like, what, you know, to develop whatever he wanted, whatever his vision was for the program. He really didn't, uh, he didn't say no to very much. In other words, it didn't matter what type of promotions that we all came up with, whether it was um, bathing suit day with the, the sugar canes where they were, you know, dressed out uh, rather scantily, uh, might not go over so big right now. Uh, income tax night where you bring your income tax uh, to be uh, filed. Uh, but, you know, with uh, you know, the proper people who do those, those type of things at the ballpark, you know, um, John Ruth, you know, doing uh, crazy type of uh, things as the Miami Maniac, the, 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 uh, the original Miami Maniac, uh, you know, doing things um, like what? Give me give me some crazy stuff. Olympic events like skiing off the top of like like putting up wooden planks and trying to emulate the long the ski long jump in the Winter Olympics and you know with Olympic music playing in the background and John trying to roller skate down from you know uh, you know the top of one building down to the field uh, on you know wooden planks and uh, probably didn't go that well. You, you, you know, and, and of course, John deciding that, to, that he was going to marry Mrs. Maniac on, on national TV. And we had ESPN covering a Sunday night game against Maine. Miami had a very, very long winning streak going on, 20 plus game winning streak going on. And Rick Remmert convinced ESPN to stop the game midway, like after three innings. So we could perform this wedding promotion and marry <laughs> the maniac on the field. And there were the best man and they all different types of mascots from around South Florida who dressed up and they were his, his wedding party. And I was the right on Reverend Rabbi Rokich that married them. And we told ESPN that it would be a, a very short ceremony, no more than, you know, four, four and a half minutes. And uh, they believed us. Well, one thing about Rick Remmert as a promotions director, he was amazing, but he sometimes underestimated the running length of some of our events. And this Maniac's wedding, it went on, oh, I'd say way past 10 minutes and 10 minutes and 30 seconds, 11 minutes, 12 minutes and change. And we're still marrying off the Maniac. And you could have, this was the, the most, you know, one of the most ridiculous funk promotions you've ever seen, but it was, <laughs> and the nation was watching. And um, finally it ended. And uh, lo and behold, we went on and we lost that game against Maine that night. And the win streak came to an end at 20 some odd games. So uh, we sort of blamed John Ruth uh, and his maniac's wedding for uh, disrupting the game. 
and uh, and causing us to uh, to lose that win streak. But uh, it was certainly one of the most memorable promotions uh, that we had ever done. And then and then Josh, there were car giveaways and there were trips to nowhere. People came to the ballpark with suitcases packed, expecting to have the opportunity to win a trip to nowhere. And what would happen is that we would draw their number and they would have to come out of the stands with their suitcase. A limousine would come in from center field and we sent them on a trip mid-game. We might have sent them to New York to see a Broadway show the next day. We might have sent them, you know, somewhere random just to do something crazy. And, you know, and then when there were money scrambles in the middle of the field with armored cars bringing in fake money, you know, for people to be able to gather up as much money as they could in a minute, sponsored by banks, never realized that we spread out all this money. And then a gust of wind came and it sort of blew <laughs> the money in every direction. And the money scramble needed a little bit of work, you know, so there were things that Ron did. I mean, he ordered a scoreboard. We needed a new scoreboard. And there are procedures that you're supposed to go through when you order equipment and things from the University of Miami. It's not the way that Ron worked. Ron picked up the phone. He called a scoreboard company called Fair Play. I think they were in Iowa. And he ordered a big green scoreboard. And it said visitors. And then it said Miami. And suddenly this scoreboard appears at the University of Miami a month later and he gets a call and they say, Coach Fraser, there's a scoreboard down here, at, you know, that's supposed to be delivered and it's here at the University of Miami. And however, nobody ever put in any purchase orders for that scoreboard. And Ron figured, well, what are they going to do once it arrives and it's green and it has Miami on it? What are they going to do? Send it back? Well, of course, they didn't. And eventually the scoreboard went up and we got a new scoreboard. So we didn't always go through proper channels. We didn't always do things in the exact way they were meant to be done, but we got a lot of stuff done and we had a lot of fun doing it. So, so like with the marriage, uh, and I've heard that story because John's been on the podcast, is Ron Frazier involved? Like, does he sign off on that and say, yes, we can do that? And then like after the game, like you said, was a loss. Was Did, did he have anything, any choice words for you guys or he just kind of went with the flow? Oh, he thought it was one of the greatest promotions he's ever seen. Yeah, no, he, uh, he, he loved that stuff. And I don't think that he ever re really, I mean, except for the fact that, you know, we've had, we had a sky jumper that was supposed to land at the light and he landed at a uh, different facility. And <laughs> he missed the ballpark. And then he showed up at the gate and he wanted to get in to explain. And Ron said, you missed your opportunity. You missed our ballpark. You're not getting into the ballpark. You, you know, so he he was always open to trying just about anything that, that there was. He left it pretty much in the hands of of Remert and, and John and myself, and uh, we filled him in. And uh, he was always uh, always good for going along for the ride. So how nuts was Ruth? John was open to doing crazy stuff. You know, I mean, uh, you know. No matter, uh, he, he may have been somewhat fragile, but once he put on that suit, you, you know, he, uh, he wouldn't really turn away anything. And uh, we made some, uh, you know, crazy suggestions, but he, he got to see the world, you know, as, as, a, as a mascot. And I'm sure, he, you know, the travels that he was able to accomplish, becoming the official mascot, you know, for the College World Series in Omaha, 
and then eventually, you know, becoming the first ever mascot, Billy the Marlin for the Marlins. So John, John really didn't shy away from doing any of the crazy things that we asked him to do. And he might have broken a few bones and, uh, you know, and, and had to recuperate. Um, but um, just give him a, a couple of beers and he was good to go for the next thing. So, you know, Ron Frazier's known as the wizard. Uh, what was what was his I mean, we, we've touched on it, but how much of that applied to the um, the marketing of the program like you like you shared with us and how much of it applied to actually, you know, coaching the baseball team? And it's growth, as you said, from sort of meager developments to, you know, winning a college world series in the early eighties. Well, first of all, we had, uh, I, I, I gave coach the name, the wizard. And that sort of happened because back in the day, Southern Cal was the, uh, they were the kingpins yeah. in college ball. And they were run by Rod, Dato, and uh, he won many, many national championships. And Rod Dato was a marketer, and he was, a, you know, he was a, a go-get-em type guy. And whenever you saw Rod Dato in Southern Cal, it was like the Yankees in college baseball. He didn't know anybody's name, but he called everybody Tiger. Hey, Tiger, what's happening, Tiger? Good to see you, Tiger. You, you know, so, again, in one of our ridiculous moments I, I said coach we need to give you a moniker we need to you know give you a name and um at some point we got to the wizard of college baseball and it stuck you know and uh, that was cool and uh but ron ron managed his team uh you know for 30 seasons and he won two national championships. He didn't have very many scholarships. He wasn't in a conference. He was in, wasn't in the Big East. While he was here, we weren't in the ACC. We were a baseball independent. And uh, he put together a national schedule. We played great teams. Played a lot of home games. Played a lot more games than we do now. Played 80 games a year back in the day. And... Uh, you know, went to the World Series a lot, but he was able to juggle both being the head coach of one of the nation's finest programs, along with knowing that to make college baseball great, you had to do more than just play the game. And he was determined to make certain that Miami was in the spotlight, there was only the Dolphins back then. There was no Heat. There was no Marlins. There were no Panthers. And the Canes were very, very popular. Very, became a very, very popular college baseball team. The crowds were great. Big crowds every night. Promotions. San Diego Chicken was brought in, you know, uh, in a midweek game against Biscayne College. And, had to close the gates with 5,000 plus people on a Wednesday night, you, you know, and um, no matter what it was, there was something different going on, you know, uh, dinner on the diamond where he, uh, you know, $5,000 a plate for people to come and have dinner on the Mark Light Stadium infield, all in the efforts to raise more money 
for lights and turf. And then, of course, he met George Light, and uh, he became a, a great benefactor for the program. And uh, it all came together. So Ron was a great manager. He uh, usually was able to outthink his opponents and liked to put a lot of pressure on other teams, loved to bunt, loved to steal bases, hit and run, but he also loved the long ball. Everybody loves the long ball. And then, of course, he managed and he, and he came together with some great people. You know, he was with Skip Bertman for many years, with another Hall of Fame coach, Ron Polk, for a short period of time, Jerry Weinstein. Uh, these are some of the, uh, the great names in college baseball. And they were all Ron Fraser assistants, Red Berry, you know, um, Bill McLean, you, you know, these are, these are all people that uh, really, really helped develop the program. And uh, so Ron, Ron was a, a wizard at both managing and promoting. He was certainly the PT Barnum of college baseball. I like that. I like that. So 1969, you know, you, you tap coach Frazier and says, come on. And next thing you know, you're, you're doing the laundry, but you also, if, if I, if I have this right, didn't you all, you also mentioned that's when you started doing the, so you were a college student, a freshman, and that's when you started doing PA announcing. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes, sir. So were you nervous? Like, did, were you open-minded to it? I mean, it's, it's. No, I, I wasn't nervous. Cause again, I, I, you know, I had done it, uh, you know, more or less in high school. And you have to realize this was um, as primitive as a, of a setup as you could possibly have. Again, no lights. Games were mostly played uh, three o'clock in the afternoon. There were wooden grandstands, wooden bleachers behind a, a backstop. And I had a table, in other words, that was connected to the backstop. And I had a, a, a record player. And I played 78 records. In other words, uh, that was the music that I Turn that table, I right? So I was a, a sort of a DJ PA announcer. And I'll, I'll never forget, we used to play three blind mice when the umpires came to meet at home plate. Again, we would do anything just to draw attention to something. So obviously, if you play three blind mice as the umpires come out for their meeting, you know, that's not something that the umpires particularly appreciate. <laughs> but but I remember a gust of wind came and it blew the, the record off of the record controller. And the, the, the 78 record was rolling, you know, on the infield as the wind took it away, the three blind mice record. But um, yeah, it, it was so there weren't a lot of fans. Most of the fans that we had were you know, 60 plus fans as far as age, you know, they were an older, an older group of people. And uh, we just decided that, um, you know, it's time to try to uh, advance the program. And uh, so public address announcing, again, I think there was a couple of people that, you know, had done it briefly before me, but I don't think to any extent. And we tried to uh, make it bigger and better. And uh, eventually, I moved away from the backstop behind home plate with the record controller. And then I've been relocated to different, you know, different parts of the ballpark. We were above the third base dugout. I think we were above the first base dugout and now we're behind home plate where a press box should be. And um, yeah, so those were, those were, you know, very, very, very primitive days. And uh, we used to play 
as I said, uh, mostly three o'clock in the afternoon. And we played a lot of games and we played a lot of, a lot of Northern teams, played a lot of games against Michigan State and Seton Hall and Maine. And we, uh, we beat up on those Northern teams pretty good. We, we, made, we made sure that we got them in the sun. And but after they were here for three or four days, they were usually so sunburned they couldn't, they couldn't swing the bats if they wanted to swing the bats. So uh, those were difficult times for visiting teams to come down and play the Hurricanes. So when did, when did it start? You, 80, so 82 is the World Series. Um, I know you got to the – I think you got to the World Series prior to that. So when did, when did it start to take off? In the, in the early 70s. We got to Omaha, I want to say, in 1972. And we lost to Southern Cal uh, in a, a very dramatic, uh, you know, uh, World Series but we, we, we learned that we could uh, compete. And um, so that trip to Omaha, I want to say in, in 1974, I believe, uh, you know, that, that really set the tone for us to realize that we could compete with just about anybody. And um, so we, we lost the Southern Cal in the national championship game. And, uh, Little did we realize that we would, uh, you know, have many opportunities to come back to Omaha after that. I think Miami has gone to Omaha 25 times. I think that's more than any program in the country except for Texas. And, um, you know, the four national championships is something that everybody is proud of. So I would say the early 70s were, were the uh, starting signs for us to, uh, you know, be put on the college baseball map. And then when did it start to change around the ballpark? Like the things you were talking about, you know, so the, the crowds go, the games move from three to, to the night or the crowds grow, the promotions start, the, you, could, you could tell like of, there was a following coming. All of it in conjunction with Ron meeting up with George Light and then the, you know, the, the lights were installed and then the field became an artificial turf field. And, um, you know, so I would say that the, um, you know, the, right about 1980, we were really starting a period of dominance with, you know, big, big crowds and, uh, and college baseball growing. And you have to realize that our stadium back when, when we were making all of these um, upgrades, it was really one of the best college ballparks in America. But because of what Ron did and because of how we began to improve college baseball, athletic directors realized that they can make some money in college baseball. It's not just football. It's not just basketball. We're not going to make as much money as those sports. But programs can market. Programs can build impressive facilities. And they can make money. And the SEC decided to build some great parks. Skip Bertman left Miami and he went to LSU and he got them off the ground. They didn't know what baseball was until Skip Bertman came to Baton Rouge. And, and then they won five national championships under his direction. So uh, I would say that the, um, the very late 70s and the 80, 81, uh, those were the, uh, the beginning times for Hurricane Baseball to become uh, one of the top uh, 10 teams in America. And uh, 
Jero, I mean, your your voice, like we, we said at the beginning, so recognizable. People, you know, you know this better than I do, right? The amount of people, you know, that have heard you, you've, you've touched people, you know, you get signature calls, et cetera. But when did you start tinkering with your theatrics? You know, like, hey, we're, this is, I'm a part of this and it's not just going to be the straight and narrow, but we're going to, you know, like you said, man, you mentioned P.T. Barnum before, right? We're gonna, It's going to be a little... There's going to be some show here. When did you find your voice and um, start to kind of incorporate that into the because it became the vibe of the part? I uh, I have never been accused of being vanilla, Josh. In other words, vanilla and, not, and the, it's not in the J. Rose shake either. Right. It's not. It's all no, chocolate. Definitely no vanilla in the J. Rose shake. Uh, but um, I, I, I I'm just a, sort of, I guess, a. <laughs> A showman, a clown at heart. In other words, I, I work in a kid's summer camp in upstate New York as a program director. I I like microphones. And, and in other words, I enjoy entertaining. Uh, and, and thankfully, uh, I have a, a pretty good, what I consider to be a pretty good sense of humor. And I'm able to react to certain situations and come up with what I think are sometimes cute remarks. And... Um, so in other words, I just always thought that if you have a name that you could accentuate, that you might as well do it. And considering, the, you know, again, working for Ron Frazier and the way we do things at, at the UM with baseball, that it would be something that would be appreciated, accepted. And so, again, on occasion with, with a name that I guess has, you know, a lot of syllables in it, you know, you, you could say, you know, this is the hurricane second baseman, number 25, Jose Trujillo, you know, or this is the hurricane catcher, Nelson Santovania, the catcher, you, you know, and eventually the crowd will get behind you and they'll chime in. And, uh, you know, so uh, baseball lends itself to those type of uh, introductions. And again, I don't think it's, uh, you know, I don't think you're recreating the world. And I just uh, always thought that I would like to try to, uh, I'm not stealing the show. I just, you know, what, what goes on the field is what's most important. But I just like, uh, you know, people to, if they can take notice and if they say, oh, that guy just did something cool and they like it and, and they take away something from the ballpark, I'm glad that I could do it. And then I, you know, had the opportunity to, be the first ever PA announcer for the Marlins. And that's something I'm very proud of. And, and we sort of did the same thing. And it was never done in Major League Baseball where this is the Marlins left fielder, number 19, Jeff Conine, left field. And everybody was doing Jeff Conine, you know. And this is the Marlins catcher, Benito Santiago, the catcher. And everybody was doing that. I don't know if everybody liked that in the major leagues. I don't think Jim Leyland. I don't think Jim Leyland liked it one bit. He was one of the Marlins managers. But this is my style, and uh, this is what I uh, have always tried to do. And I always uh, will try to make uh, some sort of announcement that uh, catches your ear, and people say, "Oh, that was funny," <laughs> you know. Is there so, stuff? Some stuff you did back and forth with the crowd that you that like it caught on, and you were like. Okay, we're we're we've got something going here. 
like where the, where the crowd would embrace what you were doing. And it's because, because there's so many things in Mark Light where it's just like, you know, ingrained into the soul of the park with the with the crowd. Back in the day, you know, I was in charge of the music at the ballpark. Now different people play the music. But one of the songs that we always played was Dueling Banjos. And uh, I don't know, I assume you're familiar with yeah. the song. And for some reason, that song caught on at the ballpark. And, you know, Dueling Banjos has a very long introduction to it. You got to wait until you get to the middle of it. So we would splice it to get right to the middle. And da 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 and it builds and it builds. Well, we would play that so much. It really was annoying to the visiting team. It was really annoying to Florida State. And we used to just beat up Mike Martin, the manager of Florida State, with different types of things like dueling banjos, just to get the crowd involved, this and that. I'll never, remember, never forget that he had an assistant coach that came up to the press box and he said, I'll give you $50 <laughs> if you stop playing that damn dueling banjo song. And I said, not going to happen. I said, probably going to play it more now than even before. Now that I know that we, it's in your ear, you know, and, uh, and that we've got your attention, you know? So, I mean, they were just, just a little different announcements, you, you know, like, uh, you know, your attention, please. Joe Zagaki, Joe Zagaki, please pick up your credit card at the front gate. We have your credit card. You don't, you, you know, or, you know, if you are driving the following car license plate, da, 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 you have a problem, which would mean that probably the car got hit with a foul ball or it's being towed away, you know, so you need to move to your car, you know, so you'll always hear a little you know, crowd reaction to things like that, you know, and then the home run calls. I think people remember Sir Speedy Printers. In other words, I don't, Sir Speedy Printers was a sponsor. They're so certainly no longer in business. And when we kiss the home run goodbye, when, 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 you know, Phil Lane would hit a home run or Pat Burrell would hit a home run and we say, Pat Burrell, he just kissed it goodbye. It's a Burl home run. It's a hurricane home run. It's a speedy home run. It's his fifth of the season, and he hit it deep to left field. Well, people still remember Sir Speedy Printers on Bird Road. They've been out of business for 35 years, but people still talk about Sir Speedy Printers. You, you know, so crazy little things like that um, stand out. And people still comment about it and you know i get a lot of nice comments from a lot of people who have been listening to me as they say for their whole life so you know that it, it, sometimes i've introduced uh them as players i've introduced their children as players so it's very nice to hear people comment that they've uh, listened to me their whole life and uh, it's something that they still enjoy all right so we agitated mike martin i think he was probably pretty easy to agitate any uh any other uh, good stories of an opposing team that came in where you just know you got under their skin? In basketball. Basketball, we were playing Providence. And Rick Patino was the head coach. Providence was very good. We weren't that good. And I was on the PA. And Providence had a player whose name was Yasik Duda. And he was pretty good. And 
as I said, Patino was the coach. And it was a high-intensity game. Miami was playing very well. It was a, a weekend game. And, uh, you know, back in the day, the, the visiting team, they, 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 they stayed in that hotel. They played the game in the, in the basement, and they, teams would stay in the, in, the, in the hotel right above it. And um, so, as it turns out, Yasek Duda was getting into foul problems. And I said, the foul is on number 53, Providence's Yasek Duda. That's his third personal foul. And the game continues to be close. Miami is hitting threes, you know, and uh, playing better than they ever could have possibly played. Whistle blows foul on Yasek Duda. All right. The personal foul is on number 53, Yasek Duda. That's his fourth personal foul. And by now, the student section is going, Duda, Duda. And then I hear Camptown Races sing this song, Duda, Duda. You know, and then, lo and behold, it's a one or two point game. The whistle blows. Offensive foul on number 53, Yasek Duda. He has been eliminated from this game. Five fouls on Yasek Duda. Well, the crowd went nuts. The students are chanting, Duda fouls out. And lo and behold, here comes Rick Patino. He's got his arms folded, and he walks over to the scorer's table, and he says to me, why are you making fun of that kid? I said, nah, I'm not making fun of that kid. Coach, I said, I'm trying to get our crowd involved. I said, that's all that I'm, he says, the kid's parents are in the stands. He says, you're making fun of the kid. He said, I said, coach, truly not my intention. I apologize if that's what you think. So everybody wanted to know, what did Rick Pitino have to say to me when he came over to the scorer's table? So as legend goes, I told everybody, Rick Pitino was so enamored with my <laughs> announcing style that he asked me if I would like to come up to his room after the game to have a beer with him. And needless to say, that's not what Rick Pitino had to say. But I will tell you, Josh, that I have seen Rick Pitino on numerous occasions since that Providence issue when he was coaching for Louisville and he was down in South Florida recruiting. And we ran into each other in a gym and he looked at me and he said, Rick, he said to me, Yasek, dude. <laughs> I said, you see, you remembered. And uh, so, yeah, so I got into a little trouble with uh with uh, rick Pitino, how about the um the players i mean you you know you've interacted i mean you've caught who knows how many names you've called over the years but did, did the kids like like did the kids come you know up to you before during after j row man that was great i love it thank you you know the, did you get that kind of feedback from them well needless to say 54 years a lot of players a lot of players. Many of them, many of them are great friends still today. Not as close to the players now as I was, you know, in my earlier days. And of course, as I get older, they're younger and 
my interaction with them is basically at okay. the field. Hello, shake their hands, wish them best of luck. But even the other night, and this goes a long way, Jake Garland, you know, our uh, captain on this year's 2022 Hurricane team, he said something to me which really, I really appreciated. I missed one game this year. It happened to be back in the beginning of the season against Florida. And you know that would be a very, very big game. Uh, you know, anytime we're playing the Gators. I miss the game because I do an event with Jimmy Johnson, our football coach. And it's an event that I'm locked into every year. Sometimes there's a conflict, but I have to do this for Coach Johnson. And I appreciate him asking me to work his event. So I didn't do the game. And uh, very rare that I miss a game. But Jake Garland came over to me the next morning, Sunday morning. And he said, Jay Rowe, he says, I have to tell you, he says, the, the atmosphere, everything about the ballpark is different when you're not behind the mic. And he didn't have to say that to me. And, uh, you know, I've heard, it, you know, similar things before. Gino Damari has always told me similar things. He, he sort of, you know, he certainly doesn't like when I miss one of his home games. But to hear that from a current player, and to know that they certainly do appreciate me. And, uh, but yeah, I, I've heard nice things from players throughout the course of the years. And um, anybody, you know, any player ever be like, Jay, or I cannot believe that's how you said my name. Um, I would say that, you know, players like, uh, just like Doug Shields. In other words, he's one of our retired yeah. numbers. And uh, he wore number five. And for some reason, he just always loved the way I would say, this is the Hurricane center fielder, number five, Doug Shields. And he'll, he'll still say, you know, you know, number five, you know, and so <laughs> that's, that stuck with him, you know, for, for all of those years. Ryan Braun is a, is a guy that has always been very appreciative and very nice to me relative whenever I see him telling me that he, he always, uh, you know, enjoyed hearing me introduce him. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I mean, look, I, I'm not looking for them to come over. Calvin James, uh, one of our Hurricane greats. We saw him the other night at the reunion of the 82, the 40-year reunion, uh, you know, of the 82 team. And, uh, you know, Calvin, you know, he, he just uh, reached out to me to thank me for all that I've done for everybody throughout the, you know, the course of my 54 seasons. So it doesn't get old. Mike Fiore is one of my closest friends. And uh, there isn't anything. He works with Scott Burris, the, the agent. And there isn't anything that I can't ask of him, uh, you know, that he won't get done for me. So I, I have some great friendships that I've made throughout the years. And uh, I'm happy to say that I maintain those to this day. All right. So <clears throat> I did give you a, a homework assignment. So we'll, we'll just lay it out here now. Um, so I heard you on another podcast or another it wasn't a podcast. It was, it was an, just doing my research and you, you started rattling off some names. So would you over your 54 seasons, not years, would you care to uh, maybe lay out like an all time team by position? So I've been asked to do this, as you said before, this is this is very subjective. Of course, Obviously, I, I started in 19. 69 so with no offense to all of those players that became before <laughs> me uh you know uh, but it was a different time 
Uh, you know, they, they didn't play as many games back in the 60s and the 50s, a different era. So, and again, I think we're going to see that most of these players that I named are, are, are players that went on to play in, in the big leagues. So, uh, you know, I don't think I'm reinventing the wheel, but let's see if we can quickly go around the, the diamond and give you what, in my opinion, is uh, of who the best are at their positions. And with apologies to all those that I'm uh, overlooking, and uh, and I could probably you know give you three guys at each position that I think, but let's let's just run through. Okay. First of all, in my opinion, the best player that I have seen in UM baseball history, and we'll give him the position of the designated hitter, and that's going to be Pat Burrell. Pat Burrell, in my estimation, the finest hitter that has ever worn a Hurricane baseball uniform a great power hitter, uh, and uh, he played third base. He played left field, uh, but, uh, you know, played in the big leagues for numerous seasons with the uh, Phillies and a couple of other uh, teams. Great home run hitter, and, uh, you know, he didn't hit, you know, 300-plus. He hit 400-plus, and he was just a beast, you know. So we're going to give him the designated hitter's position. Okay. Um, at third base – Again, lots of good people. You know, we've had the Mike Pagliarillos and Phil Lanes, uh, the greatest home run hitters uh, in, in UM history. But uh, I'm going to give third base to Ryan Braun. And uh, Ryan Braun, another California kid. So I'm going to give third base to, uh, to Ryan Braun. Now, uh, shortstop, again, uh, difficult we've had the likes of uh, Alex Cora Alex was a great defender the Boston Red Sox manager and I, I need to keep his name uh, you know right at the top of the list because I may need to call him for tickets at Fenway so uh, in case he hears this see, he's right up there I see there. how this works I see how this works Jero. <laughs> yeah. we've had we've had Wayne Quinchicki who is no longer alive but I'm going to give uh, we've had uh I'm going to give shortstop to Bobby Hill. Bobby Hill was a, an outstanding player for us. Uh, he played along with um, Pat Burrell. He played in the big leagues for a short period of time with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Could run, could play defense, could hit, and play the game like it's supposed to be played. So Bobby Hill is going to be my uh, shortstop. Then at second base, again, difficult selections. Uh, we go back and a longtime friend, Howie Shapiro was very good. Huicho uh, Hernandez, uh, Mike Tozar, uh, you know, uh, but I'm going to give it to Jamile Weeks. Jamile Weeks was my second baseman. And uh, Jamile is another guy who reached the show uh, and outstanding stolen base threat could play second base, defend, turn the double play, a uh, good offensive player. So uh, Jamal Weeks is going to play second base for me. And then first base, ooh, first base, lots of good players. We've had big leaguers like Aubrey Huff going back into the late 60s, early 70s. Orlando Gonzalez played, was a player, uh, player of the year, uh, played in the major leagues. Danny Buxbaum. Uh, George Fabregas, Steve Lusby, um, 
but I'm going to give it to Yonder Alonso. And uh, Yonder Alonso, great career, uh, uh, now uh, on MLB TV. So uh, Yonder Alonso is uh, going to play uh, first baseman, a great defensive player, one of the best defensive first basemen that we've ever had. So behind the plate, behind the plate, uh-huh. again, many, many big leaguers, Yasmani Grandal, Charles Johnson, Zach Collins, George Fabregas, then Greg Lovelady. He won two national championships. Frank Castro, Danny Matienzo. But I'm going to uh, I'm going to give the uh, the catcher's position to uh, CJ uh, Charles Johnson. Charles Johnson, a, a a stalwart behind the plate, came to us from Vero Beach, uh, and then of course um, you know went on to play for the Marlins, a World Series champion, and. Uh, as good of a defender, uh, I remember at a World Series celebration, I, when I introduced him, I said, when we introduced Charles Johnson, I said, thou shall not steal. And uh, most people did not steal against uh, Charles Johnson. So with apologies to Zach Collins, big leaguer, George Fabregas, and, and uh, you know, Yasmani Grandal, a current catcher, uh, and Nelson Santavania, and uh, all of these people, uh, many, many great catchers. I'm going to go with CJ. Uh, on the mound, in my estimation, the best starting pitcher in the my history is going to go to Neil Heaton. Uh, Neil Heaton, uh, a big leaguer uh, back in the 80s, struck out 23 hitters in one game against Indiana State. I repeat, he struck out 23 <laughs> hitters in one game the single most impressive pitching performance that I've ever witnessed in college baseball. And we've had some others, perfect games by Javi Salas. I'm going to take Stan Jakubowski. Jakubowski was another outstanding pitcher. And J.D. Arteaga, one of the winningest pitchers, our current pitching coach. We've had Alex Fernandez, you know, great relievers, and Danny Graves, and Rick Rather, and Danny Smith. Jay Tesmer. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to stick with Neil Heaton as the best starting pitcher in UM history, followed closely by Jakubowski and Arteaga. And I'm going to, uh, you know, there, there's too many, there's too many great relief pitchers, including the one that we have right now in uh, Walters, who's gotten off to an amazing start as a reliever for us this year. But uh, I'm going to uh, go with um, Danny Graves. No, I don't know. Rick Rather and Danny Smith. I, I can't pick. <laughs> too much pressure. Too much pressure. Sorry. And sorry. then the outfield, the outfield, I'm going to go with Mike Fiore in left field. I'm going to go with John Jay in center field. John Jay just retired from the, a great major league career. I'm going to uh, share center field with Doug Shields, who was outstanding. And then in right field, again, I'm going to go with uh, Jason Michaels uh, and Calvin James. In a platoon. Uh, those are, those, we have a platoon are, in right field. Yeah, I'm in a platoon in right field. Uh, you know, Calvin James is a, is a Hall of Famer. Uh, Jason Michaels is as well. And, uh, and again, I've left out 
hundreds, dozens of, of great <laughs> players that I could I could go on with. So uh, for this podcast and for this show, that's the uh, starting lineup for my Hurricanes all-time team. Now I'm going to catch you off guard. So if this if this gets taken out, that's fine. But when you mentioned Neil Heaton's 23 strikeouts, um, that is really unbelievable. I had I didn't even know that. That's absurd. So are there any others that are just like they could be yeah just ridiculous accomplishments on the field that occur that occurred that that would rival that kind of game you know multi home run you know, about, something that how about in a regional tournament you talk about you know what what goes on now in 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 baseball if you get five innings from a guy back in the day we had a right-handed pitcher whose name was Mark Batten. And since we haven't discussed this, I can't give you the year, but in an NCAA tournament, Mark Batten started a game and pitched 15 and the third innings against the Citadel. Now you might say now, well, that coach should be arrested for abusing. I don't know how many <laughs> pitches he threw. He pitched 15 and the third innings in a regional championship game and uh, against the Citadel. That's one of the most amazing accomplishments that I have, you know, certainly ever uh, come across, uh, certainly uh, never to be repeated. And then again, as I said, Javi Salas pitching a perfect game against the Villanova, uh, you know, that uh, that's always impressive. And, um, you know, so uh, those those particular games uh, come to mind. But, um, you know, uh, we, we've had uh, some very, very impressive pitching performances uh, in Omaha. Stan Jakubowski turned in some great uh, performances uh, in Omaha. And, uh, but I, I would have to say that uh, that Mark Bat performance uh, of 15 and, and uh, third innings is probably one of the most incredible things, along with the heat and 23 strikeouts. Uh, you know, that was something never to be duplicated. You mentioned Jimmy Johnson's name, so I know we, we focus so much here on baseball, and that's, you know, where you spent so much of your time. But um, what was it like to be the PA announcer stylistically? How, did, how would football, you know, being the PA announcer for the Hurricanes football compare to baseball? It was wonderful. Um, again, I did that for about 30 seasons. And listen, when I tell you, that from 1985 to 1994, 58 straight home wins. So 58 straight home wins. You weren't worried about where you're going to cover that day. You weren't worried about who you were playing that day. You just wondered about who you're going to beat that day. And you never thought about losing a game. So that looks like it covers about nine straight seasons that we never lost a home game. And the best thing about those games, it wasn't social media. You couldn't look up scores on your phones. And the best thing was waiting to announce a score, a partial score or a final score for a Notre Dame game or a Florida State game. That's right. And when you announced that Notre Dame was losing a particular game, 
And we would always say the score, you know, college football update in the third quarter from South Bend, Notre Dame, 14, Purdue, 21. <laughs> and the whole freaking place went nuts. You, you know, and again, Florida losing. Florida State losing. Notre Dame losing. That trifecta brought happiness to the Orange Bowl crowd. So um, it was great. I enjoyed it. It was always wonderful to say, and that gain is good for 10 yards, and that's good for another Miami Hurricane first down. And uh, it's something that I enjoyed. I'm sorry that I still am not able to continue to do it to this day. And uh, I did it for 30 plus seasons. I witnessed five national championships and uh, make that nine when you combine with the baseball program. I have a lot of rings and uh, I'm pretty pleased that I was able to uh, be the stadium voice for Hurricane football uh, and uh, to get to know people like Bernie Kozar and Steve Walsh and Jim Kelly and all the greats that have won Hurricane football uniforms. And to this day, I still get to see them, shake their hands, work their events at UM Sports Hall of Fame banquets, welcome them back home to Coral Gables, and, uh, and to be able to mingle with the greatest that have ever worn the uniform of the University of Miami Hurricanes. Love it. Proud of it. Can't beat it. Now, could you inject them, you know, everyone calls, you know, Miami Hurricane football, the, their attitude, the swagger that, you know, that those words, the way we play, the, 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 the winning we did, the championships. And we, we've discussed, you know, how you guys made the magic of Mark Light, you know, with your personalities. You said, I'm not, no one ever accused me of being vanilla and you poked and you prodded. So could you also, uh, could you inject that kind of, theatrics into the, into the orange bowl i think we did to a degree but a lot more people were listening and a lot more people might uh you know uh you know private put the hammer down and say don't do this don't do that while as i mentioned to you in baseball we were sort of Free on rain. our own island and uh, people sort of you know allowed us to do our own show but with um football uh, I did you do that? Was, I'm sorry. Did you do the? Did you get? Did you get? Did you uh, tweak the names? Did you? Did you work the same magic with the names like you did with baseball, or not? Not so much with football. I, I can't say that I really remember tweaking the names as much in football. I think we were a lot more, uh, you know, straight laced. Uh, you know, I don't think that football lends itself to that because the 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 period of time that I have to say that. Um, Darrow carried the gain is 10 yards. You know, the, the tackle was by Zagaki and it's third down and two, you know, there wasn't a lot of time for me. You know, I've got a spotter to my right, you know, they're telling me certain things in one ear. And so I was pretty focused on just getting the information out and making certain that it was delivered before the team got to the line of scrimmage and that I didn't do anything to interfere with the next play coming up. 
last few things. Were you there for 83? Were you there for the first championship? Did you, had you started yet? I was. I was. Um, I was there. And that was. Um, Did you call that? that were, you in, were, you, were you in the, were you the PA announcer for the Orange Bowl? For the championship? I was not. Against, was that against Nebraska? Yeah. No, no, no. I was, uh, I was not. I have been the PA announcer for different Orange Bowl games. However, it was deemed after a few years of me doing the Orange Bowl game and the Orange Bowl had Miami in it for so many seasons. At some point, somebody said, it's not fair that the hurricane <laughs> announcer is the PA announcer for the Orange Bowl and the Hurricanes are playing in the game. So somebody at some point said that they didn't think that that was proper and they took me off of that assignment. Uh, but I, I was in the Orange Bowl that night when we beat Nebraska. Was it 3130? Yes, a, sir, 3130. And, and I was in it, – it's probably the single most exciting game that I have ever witnessed in my life. And I've seen some great games, but that game, that night, that crowd, just magic. And it was played in the Magic City. So it was awesome. Best, again, happy that I wasn't announcing because I never could have been able to enjoy it as much as I did as a fan that night. All right. So you just mentioned the word magic on the way out. It's the magic of Mark Light. What what it what makes it so special? Well, I sort of think of it as the Wrigley Field of college baseball. It's not all new. It's not all old. It's been built in piece piece by piece, step by step. But we don't have the biggest crowds in America. LSU draws more than us. But for a while, we did have the biggest crowds in the '80s. And when it gets down to the eighth or the ninth inning, you just get a certain feel to the ballpark. You mix in the music. You mix in the smell of the concession stand. You know, and it just seems like you're looking for a hero, as the song says. I think that's Bonnie Tyler. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. And the music builds... And more often than not, the Hurricanes will rally. And more often than not, the Hurricanes will win, especially at the light. So I think that the magic started in the 80s with the Wizard, with John Ruth, with Rick Remmert, with myself on the stadium PA, with great players, clutch players who knew how to win, who played hard and uh, put the uh, hurricane program on the map. And uh, many might say that baseball was on the map even before the football program was great. So I just think that it's, uh, it's just the elements are there and uh, it's a special place. And uh, very, very proud to say that for 54 seasons, I've been able to be uh, sort of the, uh, the voice of the light and to be able to play some part in the winning tradition of hurricane athletics and hurricane baseball. All right. Now on the way out, I am putting you on the spot, but we're going to try and make this happen. Can I get a, a J Rose special? You're listening to 
the or you're listening to the let's see how we're going to do this you're listening to the behind the you podcast with josh darrow don't forget hurricane fans you're listening to the behind the you podcast hosted by the amazing josh darrow and remember it's always about the you yes we did it there we go all right on the spot you nailed it Sir, thank you. This was awesome. Great stories, great memories. Thanks for taking us behind the U, J-Row. And we'll see you at the light with a uh, chocolate-infused J-Row milkshake. Josh, thanks so much. And uh, thank you for having me. And uh, go Canes. I look forward to seeing you again soon. Miami-Dade County is partnering with you to help keep our community safe from COVID-19 now and in the future. Do your part by getting your booster, staying home if you're sick, and getting tested if you think you have symptoms. We'll keep doing our part to protect our children's education and ensure testing, vaccines, and boosters are available for all so that our entire community continues to thrive. It's our best plan. For more information, visit miamidade.gov coronavirus.